Pretty Mental Family, welcome back. My name is Valentina Sinistera. I am the official host of Pretty Mental. And my heart cries a little bit when I say this because for the past 110 episodes, I have been a co-host with my beautiful sister, Paula. And we started this podcast back in 2019 after a potent ayahuasca experience. And we've been watering it together, feeding the community together. And now it's time for the next rebirth. Paula has decided to graduate from the podcast, following what her spirit is asking of her. And I'm here. Pretty Mental is my baby. And I can, I will continue to water it and love on it and feed it for as long as I possibly can. So I'm really excited to be here, even though it's really weird. I posted on Instagram today. I'm like, I'm constantly amazed by how many emotions this body can hold because there's grief inside of me. And at the same time, you know, there's grief for doing this journey with my sister and now it's just me. So it feels a little bit lonely, but I know I'm not alone. Um, and then there's excitement to see what this rebirth calls in, because I know that with every single rebirth and every time you let go of something, you make room for new flowers to bloom, new gifts to come in. And I'm also super excited because today's guest is like a dream. Whoa. So I'm like holding these very intense emotions all in one body. And I'm just like floating at this point. So thank you to this body for holding me and holding all of these wild emotions at one time. And I literally recorded, this might be my sixth time recording this intro, you guys, because it's very interesting doing this, staring at yourself in a computer, but here I am and I'll get used to it. Practice makes perfect. And I'm reminding myself to slow down, to slow down and not need to get everything out in one sentence. I get very easily excited and oftentimes I trip up over my words. So I'm slowing down, grounding myself as I record this for literally the sixth time. And here we are. So before we dive into today's amazing episode, which by the way, we're in season four now. This is season four. It's, I think it's only right to start a new season as we embark on this new journey. And it's episode 111. What? Hello, angel numbers. And if you're on YouTube, I have 333 on my necklace, my life path 33. So episode 111. I was contemplating, like, should I, should I be solo on episode 111? But I, I just couldn't do it because what better guest to have on episode 111 than Aaron Abke, who is one of my greatest spiritual teachers of our time. He is... A lot of the people that I've studied in the past, they've all passed by now. And before I found Aaron, I was always wondering, like, where are where are our new our new people coming into this earth that are, you know, our Ram Dosses, our um, literally no one else is coming to mind, but you get the picture. 
And I found Aaron through Sarah, who has also done an episode with Aaron, which is amazing. You guys should go check it out. The conscious conversion podcast. Um, but I found Aaron and he just has like such an incredible way of taking these giant psychedelic otherworldly multidimensional concepts and distilling them into ways that we can understand. He's a teacher of and a student of A Course in Miracles and a student of Ra um, from The Law of One. Uh, and he has so much wisdom, so much wisdom to share with us. So I'm so, 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 so excited to put this episode out today, you guys. One, 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 season four with Aaron Apke. Here we go. And before we dive in, I want to invite you guys to come and breathe with us. Every single month, I host Around the Full Moon, a breathwork session. Breathwork changed my life. I did my first my first breathwork session a little bit after I did my first ayahuasca session. And I remember it taking me to the exact same place that ayahuasca took me. And all I could think was how like, I can do this with my breath. You know, I can, I can tap out of my body and deeply into my heart and back into my highest self and get all these universal downloads and have this psychedelic experience just with my breath. And it helped me tremendously with anxiety, with moving that energy, as you'll hear more in this podcast, the importance of allowing our energy to move and not getting it stuck in one place. It helped me with my anxiety, with my depression. It helped me with opening up space in my body to receive downloads and guidance. And it helped me tap back into my intuition. Breathwork is one of my most potent tools in my, my mental health toolkit. And I invite you guys to come breathe with me. I guide these sessions once a month on the full moon. This next one is on September 8th, I believe. I will put the link in the show notes um, at 5.30 p.m. PST, 8.30 p.m. EST. Yeah, I would love to have you guys there. And before we dive into this amazing episode, take in a deep breath with me. And tune in. We ground ourselves in. We open ourselves up for whatever wants to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, our community, everyone they come in contact with, and for the highest healing of the planet. Calling in our higher selves, calling in all of the energies that walk with us in this lifetime. knowing that we are fully guided, knowing that we are fully supported in this moment and in every moment, we open ourselves up. We open up our hearts, we open up our throats, we open up our minds. Let us be vessels for what wants to come through today. The portal is now open. Aho. Aaron Abke, welcome to Pretty Mental. Thank you, Valentina. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here on the other side of the screen right now speaking to me because I've seen so many videos of you where I just get stuck in like a, the portal of the web with all of your amazing, amazing teach teachings. 
And I'm also super excited because this is my first, my first interview that I'm doing or conversation. Um, interview sounds so cold. Conversation <laughs> since since we started with just me going solo on Pretty Mental. So I'm so thankful, so thankful and so grateful that you get to be the first one diving into this with me. So, so thank you. Well, I, I always love, I'm always excited to talk to people who are excited to talk to me. So I'm ready for it. Yeah, let's do it. So Aaron, mm -hmm. before we dive in, just to give a little bit of deeper background for our listeners, if they don't already know you yet, they are going to fall in love. But Aaron is a spiritual teacher with over 17 million views on YouTube, where he creates content to help us raise our consciousness, expand our hearts, raise our awareness, and so much more that doesn't even cover it. Um, but I would love to hear from you. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a deeper intro to who you are and your mental health, spiritual journey that has gotten you to where you are now. Yeah. So I grew up as a pastor's kid in evangelical Christianity. So for those not familiar with the evangelical denomination, it's, um, it's the denomination you may have seen videos of where people like dance and run around the service and wave flags and tambourines and do Holy Ghost revivals and all that fun stuff. Uh, that was the, the denomination that I grew up in. And uh, I was extremely, you know, sincere and devout in my faith. I loved Jesus more than anything. Always put God first. Uh, wanted to be a pastor like my dad. But because my parents' church was really um, free-spirited, we actually called it uh, non-denominational. Um, we didn't talk about, you know, the fundamentalist doctrines almost at all. Uh, hell, the rapture, biblical inerrancy, you know, little bits here and there. But nothing that that forced me to like wrestle with that stuff and decide if I really believe it or not. Until I went to college at 23 and uh, graduated with my degree in, in music and theology and then got my first full-time job as a worship pastor. And I was working at this church that was um, back home in San Jose that was very, very fundamentalist and very legalistic. And they really wanted to talk almost exclusively about, you know, who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. Um, I could go on and on about the crazy stuff I, I witnessed there in terms of mm. like treating women inferior to men because Eve ate the apple first. And it was very like overwhelming for me at that age uh, to be working at a place like that. And so I kind of was like, what did I get myself into? And that was life's way of forcing me to decide if I believe in that version of God or not. And so the answer was a clear, no, I don't believe in that version of God. So I, I kind of, I rejected it so extremely that I actually rejected all of Christianity because I, I understood that these beliefs were always under the surface of what I grew up under, you know? We just don't talk about them as much. So I need to reject this entire framework. And so then it was like, what do I believe about God? And I moved back to Oklahoma and spent about four years just like obsessing over Eastern teachings, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, trying to find answers for these questions of like, what is God? Who am I, et cetera. And that was where my mental health crisis kind of began because I got married at 23 uh, group Christian, you know, you stay celibate until you're married and all that, get married as young as possible. I did that whole thing. And 
got divorced at 26 because my my then wife just wasn't making the transition with me like I was out of that religious framework mm. um, and a bunch of other issues we had. But divorce, um, left my religion, which means all my friends, everybody I grew up with, all my church friends, school friends, college friends, everybody unanimously rejected me as a heretic, right? That's kind of what happens when you leave a cult. <laughs> and so I had no friends. All my family, except for my own parents and sister, also rejected me mm. and moved back to California after those four years after I got divorced. And I'm 26 years old. Uh, I get this job working at Google uh, as a personal trainer. And I have no friends, no one in my life anymore. I don't know what I believe about God. I mean, I sort of do at that point, but I'm still trying to find my way. And that's just what kind of dislodged all of the latent stuff in my psyche. And for me, it was always depression was my kind of big mental health battle was this day by day, this growing feeling of like, well, what's the point of it all? Is there anything worth living for? Life is so hopeless, blah, blah, blah. Those thoughts and stories were just playing like a tape recorder in my mind. And like, I meditate, I do shadow work, I forgive people. What do I got to do to get this voice to shut up? And that's what really drove my seeking, um, my sort of all-encompassing obsession with how do I get free from the bondage of my mind? And that eventually led me to finding answers to those questions. Whoopsie. Sorry, I got a call. <laughs> um, finding answers to those questions that gave me the liberation I was looking for. And then uh, started teaching on YouTube a little while after that. Mm. Okay. Wow. So much that I want to dive into with this. So one thing that really sticks out to me is around 23, you said, was it you started questioning, like, what do I really believe? Yeah. Do I believe in this version of God or not? Do I believe in this version of God or not? What do I really believe? Like starting to question the system that you grew up in that basically painted the entire narrative of your reality. I think what you that what you just spoke about is what I mean, all of us, maybe at some point in our life, I think the most of us go through that, you know, where we start to question everything around us. Sometimes people, you know, they get to the end of their life and they they, they don't yeah. really question. And I think right now I've actually been having a lot of conversations with people where it's like, the universe is like hitting them from every angle, like bam, bam, bam. <laughs> you know, we see all of the structures continuing to fall that were not sustainable yeah. and just a lot of changes right now, a lot of changes. And that can feel super yeah. destabilizing and yeah. that can lead to a lot of depression because now you no longer the, the, we need to understand the structure that we live in in order to build on it. And a lot right. of us, our structures are falling. We have no idea where we even stand. And that's leading to depression. That's leading to, to feeling incredibly lost. Yeah. The ego wants certainty and stability mm. more than anything. So that's why it always thinks that it knows everything. It's always right. It's never wrong. It's not, it's not just because it's like pure pride. Um, pride is like the secondary factor of it. It's actually fear underneath it all that, uh, uncertainty is the greatest fear the ego has because it uncertainty is equal to death, essentially to the ego. It could mean death for the ego. So it wants certainty more than anything, which is why it puts on a front of pride of I'm always right. 
But underneath that little thin veil of pride, ego is hiding this terrible fear of reality that it actually can't and doesn't know reality at all. So it just pretends to know it. And when those pretend labels and definitions we have get knocked over by life, that, that can destabilize a psyche very quickly. So how did you start to work your way out of that? Like for people who are listening right now that they are feeling stuck, they're feeling, feeling like they have just no direction because everything they once knew now, it doesn't even feel like they even want that anymore. Like they're just, they want a new life because this life is just, it's not it. Yeah. Yeah. That's very much how I felt. Yeah. Um, I was at a place where anyone looking on the outside would have thought like, oh man, this guy's got it all. Uh, he's a signed fitness model. Mm. He's a, a competitive national level bodybuilder. He works at Google in the Bay Area. He's got a great job. What could this guy have to be depressed about? Mm -hmm. And nevertheless, I was completely miserable inside. And none of that stuff gave me any kind of inner contentment at all. And that can make your suffering a lot worse when, you know, like um, celebrities will say this, very wealthy people will say this. That it actually um, getting all that fame and wealth can actually make mental imbalances way worse because mm. it gives this proof to your your mind of like, look, I'm on the mountaintop and I'm still just as miserable. Now it's definitely time to exit this game. You know, this isn't working for me. It was kind of like that. Um, but all of that suffering we go through, I think the universe uses it as a form of grace that wakes us up from our delusions, you know, of thinking we're something that we're not. And that's what it started to do for me through all my suffering and, you know, really devout, uh, sincere desire to find answers. The universe quickly answered those cries for help. And it came in the form of, it was a sort of a gradual understanding. It, it felt like it happened all at once, like one night when this kind of download came through. But over the next months and months and months, the pieces got put together in a little more uh, structured way. But Really, what I saw on this this one experience out of my balcony at night, I would go out and smoke a joint, look at the stars, and talk to God. And uh, this understanding came in that there's only three basic emotions that we suffer from, uh, which we could call sadness, anger, and fear, right? And there's, yeah, there's lots of variations of those three emotions. Um, we don't have to name them all, but you get it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just those three kind of like root energies we ever are suffering from. Or when we feel these three different emotions, we call it suffering. So something clicked in my mind that said like, okay, well, if these are three root energies, they must be connected to like three core beliefs or ideas or something that cause these emotions to happen. Because we know an emotion, you can't have negative emotions unless there's been thoughts and things your mind is ruminating over that trigger them to happen. And so that made sense. And so then the question was, well, what are these three core beliefs? And through this investigation, it became really clear that, in fact, what we call ego really just is a kind of belief system, uh, which is essentially just these three beliefs that are kind of one belief when you put them together. It's just the belief that I am separate, but they play out like once I believe I'm separate, the mind and body will act out separation in these three ways. So the first way is, I call it the belief in lack. I am incomplete. And if you have a question, feel free to interrupt. Oh, I'm no, keep going. I'm sucking <laughs> this in. Um, I am incomplete. So the belief in lack is the first like appearance the mind creates uh, once it believes it's separate. 
to be separate implies something's not there. There's something missing, right? I'm incomplete in some way. And that belief in lack is what drives all of Darwinian evolution. Every animal species, every insect, everything that survives is, is running off this belief in lack. But in the animal kingdom, in the animal level of consciousness, there's no self-sentient awareness yet in an animal like there is in a human. So animals don't make stories about their lack. They just go find fulfillment of it, right? Mm. Hungry, they go hunt. Tired, they go find a cave and sleep. Uh, but a human, we have the ability now to make all these stories about our lack, which is really what suffering is. So the belief in lack is the first belief, and it actually correlates to the root chakra, the first chakra. And then the second belief kind of flows downstream of the first one. So if I believe I'm lacking, uh, that implies that there is something out there that can fulfill my lack. I just have to go get it. And this is um, basically attachment or desire, the belief in external fulfillment. So we, we chase outcomes our whole life from outcome to outcome, just hoping that the next thing will satisfy my soul, right? Mm -hmm. And none of them ever do, but nevertheless, off we go to chase the next one anyways. And then the third belief follows the second one, of course, which is that if I have to go complete myself, well, then I'm in control. I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the doer. So then we really have invented a completely separate individual, isolated self out of these three beliefs. It's separate and, and lacking. It needs to go find its completion in the world, which is separate from it. And mm -hmm. it's the doer of its own actions making all of its own choices uninfluenced by anything else. This is the belief system of the ego, right? Mm -hmm. So we can see how those three emotions get triggered from those three beliefs. When we feel that we're lacking anything, the emotional body will respond to that belief with what we call sadness, hopelessness, grief, sorrow, depression, but some kind of sadness is always the response when I think that I'm lacking something. And then the second belief, an outcome happiness. Well, what happens to us when we, when an outcome we want gets blocked? We get angry, right? We get pissed off. And that's the mind's way of trying to like force its way through that block and get that freaking outcome that I want at all costs. Uh, that's the second belief, which causes anger. And then mm -hmm. the third belief, I'm in control. What do we call it when someone feels like they're losing control of a situation or losing control of um, their body or anything like that? It's a panic attack, an anxiety attack. When the mind thinks that it either doesn't have control or it's losing control, it starts getting uh, fearful or afraid. And that's the, the kind of freeze response. So we have flight, fight, and freeze, the animalistic reactions. The, the brain goes into a freeze mode. It's like, uh, I need to process this situation to figure out what I should do before I make any, any moves that could be detrimental. Mm -hmm. We see animals do that. When, when a gazelle is confronted with a, a lion, it freezes for a minute because it's trying to analyze, should I fight or should I flight? So it's like, we're still animals that do that stuff, but in these increasingly nuanced, complex ways, because we're self-aware beings. Mm. 
So how do we begin to, as you were speaking one, I'm like, I feel personally called out. This is so interesting. <laughs> it's like that, that's such like a, an algorithm or a, like you've got yeah, the equation it down. Is. It yep. makes so much sense. And, and also what came to my mind was the fact that this is kind of how we've all been regardless of a lot of your religions, if you grew up in this society, the systems are, are kind of meant to make you think in this way. You yeah. Know, that the it. lack, the, the control, mm -hmm. the, there's something outside of me. Yep. Attachment. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, religion, um, politicians, kings and rulers for time immemorial have used these three beliefs to control the human population. And in religion, they do it by saying, if you don't believe what we tell you to believe, you're going to burn and be tortured forever. So then, ah, fear. Okay. I'll do whatever you say. It's, it's always like, we cannot be controlled if we aren't susceptible to these three beliefs or emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So our, our liberation as a species will only come when we collectively transcend these three beliefs. How do we begin to transcend these beliefs on like, if there was steps and I know you have this in 4d university, which I want to dive into, but how, how do we begin? You know, if there's like an equation or if someone is feeling completely stuck right now and they're everything that you just said, if they're like, holy shit, yes, that is literally me. And I don't know where to go. How do they begin to transcend this? It's a great question, Valentina. <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. So the, the solution that also came through over time was that first of all, if we understand what our emotions are, then our emotions actually become our greatest ally in uh, finding freedom because our emotions are actually, I like to call it the emotional guidance system. We've probably heard that before. They actually are a kind of guidance system that tells us when our thinking has gone off track from what's true in reality. So we could put it this way. When I think a thought that is in contradiction to the way reality actually is or sees me, then my, my body responds with a negative emotion to sort of be like, eh, wrong perception, try again. Because we can't, we can't stomach wrong perceptions very long, right? Because they cause so much pain. Uh, if I think a thought about myself that is in alignment with the way that reality sees me, then I feel a positive emotion, happiness, joy, bliss, love, peace, et cetera. And that's the emotional guidance system's way of saying, ding, 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 you're seeing yourself correctly. So once we understand that, then all of our negative emotions no longer become these enemies that are here to torment us. They actually become allies because not only does my emotions, do my emotions tell me that my thinking has gone astray, but they actually tell me stray, which one of those three beliefs is working under the surface. So when I know what each emotion means, uh, when I figured this out, basically my practice became, okay, let me just start taking absolute full responsibility over the, over my mind. And every time I notice one of these three beliefs is working, I'm going to correct it with a statement of truth that I know is undeniable. Mm. So for the first belief that I am incomplete, uh, the, the affirmation that I started using that uh, really resonated with me, and it was one of those power statements that just kind of punches the ego right in the face, is a line from A Course in Miracles that says, 
Only what I have not given can ever be lacking. Mm. And that's a really powerful statement because it basically makes you the source of everything. In Damn. that one statement. Oh right? my God. Yes. I love that. That is just like feels so expansive taking that in. Oh, we lost you for a second. Okay, you're back. Yeah, I think I cut out. Sorry. My back? Yeah, you're back. Cool. So basically, anytime I feel sad, I know it's because somewhere in my mind, my mind is implying that I'm lacking something. Mm -hmm. And it's really always love in some way, right? Love is always what we really want um, at the end of the day. So what, uh, what is it my mind thinks I'm lacking? Friendship, romance, fulfillment blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is doesn't ultimately matter because I just go back to, but only what I have not given can ever be lacking. Meaning only what I haven't given myself can ever be lacking. And when we understand the nature of oneness, then myself is not just isolated to this little body, but myself is the whole universe. So the only way, you know, if you are the source of everything, which is a basic spiritual tenant, if that's true, and all everything in the universe exists within you in potential, in a kind of unmanifest form, then how would you ever know that it's there unless you give it? So that's the paradox, is that the mind always wants to get from reality, mm -hmm. but it actually doesn't find what it's looking for until it gives it. So the Course says, giving is proof of having. So when I give love to someone else, well, I've right. actually just made myself the source of love yeah because if i don't have it how could i ever give it so mm -hmm. it gets you out of this mindset of like the the poverty mentality of take 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 me 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 it's mm -hmm. like no it's all all abundances within me i just need to start giving it out be kind be generous be loving be open-hearted be grateful and then all of a sudden wow i feel really happy it was always because i was denying it from myself by not giving it wow okay Okay. Next one. Which is the next one? I love <laughs> that. So that's the first one. Uh -huh. When you feel sad, only what I have not given can ever be lacking. And then look for what it is you feel you're lacking and give that out either to yourself in that moment or to somebody else, something else. Right. That's so Very empowering. Simple. You're fully taking your power back with that and waking yourself up from, from the slumber that, that, that you're lacking in any way. You got it. Yeah, that is the purpose. So when we get to anger, anger again is the belief that there's an outcome that will fulfill me when I gain it. And something's blocking that outcome. Either I messed up and did something stupid. So I beat myself up. You idiot, you moron. Or somebody else is in my way and that you're the problem. You jerk. I hate you. Or maybe it's life itself. Maybe God has denied me the outcome I want. So I shake my fists at the heavens, right? But somebody is to blame when I'm not getting what I want. So the reversal that ended up being, you know, the statement that kind of worked for me. And I want to, I want to stress that anyone can use any statement they want. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever works for you is ultimately best, but these are just the ones that have worked for me the best and many of my students. So for the second belief, when I'm angry, I say, what I want is not an outcome. Or this outcome cannot give me anything that I want. 
And that sounds weird to the ego, right? Because it's super convinced that this outcome definitely will make me happy. But what we're pointing to with this statement is, well, let's just think back to all the other outcomes, you know, 50 times a day that you chase after. And any of them given you lasting fulfillment? Are you at peace in your heart now because all those outcomes you gained? You mm -hmm. say, no, no outcome has ever granted me lasting peace. And what is it we really want? Well, really what we want is just to be at peace and be happy, like permanently, not just yeah. for a moment or two. So if what I really want is to be happy always, then this outcome can't give me anything I want. So it's like something about just remembering that is a really potent, is really potent medicine for the mind in that situation. And then you can just say, okay, yeah, let me just let go of this attachment to this outcome. Let the chips fall where they may, because it, it doesn't actually give me happiness, even if I get it, right? That's having to really trust and believe that that outcome isn't going to give you what you want, though. And how can right. you how can you convince yourself of that if you really do believe that is the outcome that's going to bring you a solution for what you feel? Yeah, it's it's just about getting really clear on what you actually truly want in your heart of hearts. Mm. When we're, when we're barreling through life and not paying attention to the contents of our mind, we get into these cycles and patterns and just repeat them over and over again, like a hamster on a wheel. And only once we start to slow things down, take a breath, let me do some introspection. I've been chasing money, sex, fame, fortune, all this stuff. Has any of it actually made me happy though? And we all have to say no, if we're being honest, otherwise you wouldn't even be asking this question. Right. So what is it I really truly want? And again, you just say, oh, it's just to be truly at peace with life and myself, to love myself, to be happy, whatever. And if you get honest about that question, then you know that this outcome can't provide it to you because the millions of previous ones haven't done it yet. So you'd be quite a fool to think that this one no matter what it is, right? Maybe it's a million dollar deal or something you're trying to make. It still doesn't matter. There's nothing outside of you that can ever fulfill you and bring your soul peace other than self-knowledge. So when you know that, it's very easy to lay outcomes down. It doesn't mean you don't maybe still pursue them. It just means there's no more attachment. You're just letting life live life through you. It's just happening. I, I'm a businessman. I do business deals, whatever, but let the chips fall where they may. I'm not going to attach my sense of worth to this next business deal. That's mm -hmm. what causes the suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So that's the second belief. And then uh, the third belief, when we feel fear, uh, fear, remember, is the belief that I am in control. And this, this is a hard one because we really think we're in control, right? Uh, we really think that we have this kind of total autonomous free will, which we can get into that if we want later. But uh, what we're essentially saying is that me, this individual person, am in control of everything that happens to me in my life uh, independently or apart from life itself. So it's like this amazing arrogance the ego has to think that you know, the big bang happened, all this motion and energy expanded outwards, and that expansion is still happening. There's just infinite variables flying around me at every given second. 
But then if something goes wrong, ego blames it on myself. Mm-hmm. Like I did something wrong. I should have known better. I should have done better. It's it's just not aware of this, the immensity of this thing it's inside of called life. And so it estranges itself from life and says, no, I'm in control rather than seeing that there's actually a greater power and intelligence that's orchestrating everything. And if I tune into it and start becoming aware of it and trying to flow with it, like surfing a wave or something, then actually things start to go really great for me. But when I'm not aware that there is a supreme intelligence orchestrating everything, then I act in opposition to it and I make it a kind of enemy. And the mind is in this kind of constant war against reality because life's unfair. It's not giving me what I want and all these kind of thoughts. So I'm, I am in control is what causes the belief in fear because the second life indicates a situation that would say, you're actually not in control here, buddy. Then the ego panics. And the mind has an anxiety attack. So when we feel fear of any kind, uh, paranoia, worry, stress, anxiety, et cetera, uh, what, what works for me is just to, just to say, I'm not in control. I am being lived. And that mm. last phrase is what really does it for me is that there is that power that is actually living me. Um, there's a hand inside of this puppet. So let me not think that the puppet is acting of its own accord, but the hand inside the puppet does everything. And the hand inside me is the power of life itself because everything is that. There's nothing else in the universe but that. And something about that recognition is very peaceful and relaxing to the soul. And it brings the mind to this calmness of like, all right, I can just trust what life is doing and know that everything will ultimately always work out for my benefit if I see it that way. But if I'm, again, not aware of that fact, I'll keep making life an enemy and keep fighting reality. And as I like to quote Byron Katie always says, when you argue with reality, you lose but only 100% of the time. Mm. (laughs) So, but there's, we're not in control. And at the same time, we are in control, right? Because we're choosing the relationships, the careers, the, the situation that we're in. And how do we balance that out with, with those, those two aspects? Because if you're not in control, I think a risk that, that we can run is spiritually bypassing or bypassing when you're in a situation that feels, how do I phrase this? So if you're dealing with something that is bringing you depression or anxiety and may, you may try to meditate it away or meditate yourself into neutrality, but really you actually need to be moving. Like where does that line where is the line for actually uh, like trusting in everything that is happening or taking deeper control? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So this is the tricky, the tricky part of understanding it's called Mm non-doership in uh, Uh, non-duality. Non-doership means there is no personal doer of actions. As the the Buddha said, um, events happen and deeds are done but there is no individual doer thereof. Meaning everything that happens is the power of all of life happening. There's no isolated person that acts against life or in opposition to life. Nothing can happen outside of life's will because life is all that that exists. So it's never in contradiction of its own self, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So a way I can paint this um, 
in an analogy would be, imagine how much biologists could understand about any species of animal. If they could only study the animal like floating in space in a vacuum with absolutely no environment, and that's the only way they could ever study any animal. How much could we really know about animals? Virtually nothing, almost nothing, because that animal really is an extension of the environment. The animal is like what the environment is doing. It's, it's created from the environment and uh, depends on the environment every yeah. second of its existence. So you really can't isolate anything from its environment. In that same way, we are our environment, life, our whole life circumstance is also us. So the, the message that you're not in control doesn't mean there is nothing that's in control. It means the individual person, the idea I have of me, I am this body, this character, blah, blah, blah. That person isn't in control. Just like an animal is not separate from its environment. Everything the animal does is in response to its environment. And likewise, everything we do is in response to the universe. So it's actually a zooming out of my sense of self and looking at myself from a, a grander point of view, a higher point of view, and seeing that actually everything that happens is ultimately my will, but me, life, me, the universe, not me, the little person. And so when a painful thing comes up, you say, well, how do I know I'm not just going to bypass that and whatever? Well, if I understand the message truthfully, then if energy is coming up to be healed, then life wants to heal it. So you mm -hmm. meet it directly, you forgive yeah. it, you do all the normal stuff, but you do it understanding that this is this is the universe knowing itself. Yes. It's not like an, a person who can choose or not choose whether to do that, because really the person's just kind of an accumulation of their karma. So if somebody is not self-aware enough yet to understand that like I'm a soul on an individual journey to learn these lessons and heal my wounds... If they don't know that, then guess what? They're going to keep bypassing all of their pain and keep going to the bar every weekend and all that stuff because that's all they know. Until higher awareness dawns and opens in them, they can't make a better decision. So it's like, are they choosing to bypass rather than to heal? Not really. They think that they're choosing something, but they're actually just operating on their own karma. So when we whittle it down to the individual, there's no individual control apart from life, but the good news is you are life, right? You just have to realize that you are. So it's almost healing for the collective, essentially healing for the universe. Like the universe is healing through you. The universe is moving through you. That That's what I'm, I'm picking up from what, what you're saying. Um, so instead of personalizing so deeply the pain that we're going through, it's also an understanding of this is life trying to move through us. Yeah, that's that's a, another great point you're making that when when we understand this message, we also understand that none of our problems are actually personal problems, uh, whether it's a breakup, abuse, trauma, it doesn't matter. Everything you are going through in your life is really just an archetype that millions and millions and millions of people before you have worked through those same exact catalysts. And millions of people right now are working through the same pain and suffering that you're working through. 
So actually none of your problems are really your problems. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We just personalize them in our head, but this is a story that's been told trillions of times before. So you're right in that when we see it, we are actually healing the collective itself in that every person, individual person who transcends that specific catalyst, like abuse from the past, rejection, abandonment, whatever it is, when I heal it in myself, I, I erase a little bit more of it from the whole collective. And in a sense, I actually make it a little bit more vibrationally possible for everyone else to transcend it. Because mm -hmm. I've just like taken a little bit more weight out of that collective trauma, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And there, there's two things that I want to touch on. One of them is you talk a lot about how energy spirals upward. And so when that energy of the universe is moving through us, when we get as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, like depression or anxiety or these manifestations um, of dis-ease, it's when we hold the energy, we don't allow it to continue to move through us. And that's when we hold it is when we continue to personalize it as this Bingo. is only happening to me. Well and said. The, the other thing that oh, don't slip through my mind <laughs> is that the be, because we are a part of the entire system that we're in, does it, do we sometimes need to move from that system or is it that, is that going to follow us everywhere we go? You know, cause sometimes we hear people saying me, people, I am people. I'm like, I need to move to an Island. I need to move here. Mm -hmm. I need to move here. And then a lot of this stuff will be solved. Maybe, maybe some of it will, but how, how true is that? You mean like in terms of systemic corruption and stuff? Yeah. So it's like the, those, if we are a part of, of the system that we're in, it, it, we can relieve some of the pain that we're going through, or can we relieve some of the pain that we're going through by placing ourselves into another system? Mm -hmm. Or are these some of the pains that we need to go through regardless of where we are because of the karmic destiny that we have? Yeah. Lots of things yeah, I just threw your way. It's it's a tough question, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there's different ways to look at this, but we're all ultimately connected, as you pointed out. And so that means there really isn't such a thing as escaping anything because you could almost look at all of humanity as one being. And so those archetypes of um, abuse, trauma, abandonment, loneliness... These are archetypes that the human race, the human species is currently dealing with in itself and is evolving through. So it works that way with, you know, every system that humans make, because every system we make is an outgrowth of us, is an extension of us, our politics, our economics, our governments, our medicine, you name it. And so these same problems show up in every system of humanity. Um, Looking at government, for an example, the government governments is like the ego of the collective consciousness because it's an entity that says, I am Lord of you. I rule over you. You answer to me. I tell you what to do. I'm your boss. You're my servant. And if you don't do what it wants, it will take control from you very violently. Well, that's what our mind does to us, right? If we don't do what the ego wants, it's going to try to punish us and make you feel guilty, make you feel shameful for not doing what it wanted. Well, that's a control tactic. And we see that through oppressive governments from all of history. So in the same way that we transcend our ego individually, 
we will have to transcend these tyrannical governments that currently rule this planet in the same way collectively. So how do we do that, right? Well, how do I transcend my ego? First, I stop giving it power. I stop believing that it has any power over me. And I just let it be like noise in the background. But I don't, I don't cooperate with it anymore. I don't give it my energy anymore. I just let it be there. I don't make it an enemy or something. But I just understand what it wants from me and that I don't want what it wants from me. You know, that's how we begin to transcend, make the split from I am the ego versus I am something more transcendent than this. I am earlier than ego. Mm-hmm. So collectively, we have to stop thinking that the government actually has power over us or should have power over us or that we should listen to anything they have to say. Um, secondly, we have to realize our inherent oneness. Like if I'm all disconnected from these parts of myself, good luck transcending ego. Ego will use all those divided parts to further divide me from myself. All those divided parts of me will be at war with each other. My guilty self hates my prideful self and on and on and on and on. So until I love all parts of me, ego can weaponize those individual components. And isn't that what oppressive governments love to do? Mm-hmm. They love to divide their population, get them hating each other, fighting each other. And then they can just like puppets on a string, just pull the strings whichever way they want. The bad guy's over there and everyone runs over there. Oh, they're over here. They run over there. And they're just picking your pockets every second while you're not looking. So we have to be come one with each other as humanity. We have to absolutely refuse to be divided over any issue whatsoever. And until that happens, you know, we're going to keep seeing the same things. So I think humanity right now, after this whole picture I've painted, we can see is at this very juncture, right? Where we are learning these tough lessons. We're, we're experiencing the consequences of not learning them. And ultimately, right, that's, that's what wakes us up to the importance of the lesson itself. Mm. So running away, running away, moving to another place or thinking that your piece is going to be in Bali or Hawaii or one of the, you know, is almost like we can't outrun the system. This is not what we need right now is not beyond our own peace. We need collective peace. So from wherever you are right now, you start there, start there and you can achieve personal freedom from the depression, from the anxiety, from the things that are weighing you down when you start to see that the universe is healing itself through you. So having practices that allow us to let the energy move, because I think it, you know, I love what you said about, and I want you to speak about this is the energy, energy spiraling upwards is so much of within myself, you know, when I find myself having anxiety or falling into a depression it is because I have taken one thought and I have followed it and I've gone in like sideways into a loophole with it mm-hmm. instead of like having that thought and then just like, okay, there's the thought and allowing it to finish its way through. Yeah. Being the awareness. Yeah. Uh, so I think to your question about like, sh- can we leave a certain area if, if we're not in resonance with it? I think it's, um, it's a, a nuanced question because there's definitely something to be said for staying and fighting for where you live and trying to change the the laws and systems to become more unified and loving and all that. And I think we should definitely be in that mindset, but there's also something to be said for honoring the collective consciousness. And, you know, if you're living uh, somewhere that's getting really radicalized, 
that the 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 governments of that city and, and state are being very, very oppressive, taking away freedoms, and everyone's like cheering it on, like, yeah, take our freedoms. And you're not in resonance with that, then you might say, okay, I'm gonna honor the collective here and say this is what they want. Mm-hmm. So that's valid. You guys can have this oppressive regime that you want. I'm gonna move somewhere that's in alignment with my values, but let's always still be in the mindset that we are trying to heal the planet, not escape something. Mm. And I think a lot of times I have tons of friends who've done this. They just want to get out of America or Australia or wherever they think it's being, they're being oppressed and go to Costa Rica or Bali. And it's just a very escapist mentality, which again, doesn't mean you shouldn't move there, but let's move there still with the mindset of how do I play a part in humanity's healing still? How can I make change? I think if we keep that vibration in our heart, then we're staying joined with humanity and love and service to others. And the mentality of like, everyone here's crazy and nuts, screw them all. I want to go somewhere I can be alone and be left alone. Um, that can still be ego, right? Having this kind of separation mindset. And I think that's what we have to be careful of. Yeah, definitely. Because there is something to be said for if you are just an incredibly open and sensitive person living in a very dense city, right? you cannot tap into yourself to help the collective. So maybe you do need to get out, but if you get out because you're like, fuck everyone, I need to be in my, my little cave and just like get my own peace. You can do that for a little bit until maybe you get back to a level playing field, but that ultimately is not going to be the answer because as you know, I I think we know nothing at the end of the day, but at the same time, (laughs) what we think we know is that this is really moving towards just universal healing, collective healing. Yeah. And I think if, if you incarnated on this planet at this point in time, like if you're aware of the world you live in now, the amount of corruption and stuff that's actually enslaving this planet, if you're aware of this stuff and you're alive today, your soul obviously came here to be of service to this planet Mm -hmm. at this time. This is like the most critical junction of human history right now. So let me not abandon that soul journey, that soul mission. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Right. I want to, I want to fulfill the purpose I came here for. And yes, we all have individual destinies and giftings and stuff, but like the overlying purpose of any one of us being here is to help this planet evolve right now and make it through this transition. I want to talk about this. So (laughs) from everything that you've studied with the law of one, which I have not read. So let me preface that. Okay. And every time I've read a little bit about it, I'm like, this is so dense. This is really dense, but it's it's on my list from everything that you've read about the law of one and just all of your studies, like what the fuck is happening right now? (laughs) Like what is going on in this, on our planet? And also maybe for me and everyone else listening, can you give us a a little brief summary of what the law of one is and who Ra is. Yeah. I'm curious. Have you watched any of my videos on the law of one? I have. Okay. So you kind of know the basics at least. I know the basics. Yeah. Okay. So for those who don't, uh, the law of one is a channel text from the 1980s of a group of UFO researchers who were trying to understand the UFO phenomenon. And they kind of came up with the epiphany that if we want to understand why these beings are here, we should probably get a lot more interested in their spirituality and philosophy rather than just their science. Um, Like how do their crafts work? Isn't going to really help us understand them. So they started channeling, uh, practicing channeling to try and establish communication because they thought, well, if these beings can 
come here in ships through hundreds of millions of light years, um, they probably can communicate with their minds too. It's probably not that hard. So let's try to communicate with our minds with these beings. And so after like 12 years of doing that, they made contact with an entity named Ra. And it was a extremely profound, uh, genuine contact. When you read the law of one, there's, there's no doubt about it from pretty much the first um, question and answer. Uh, if, if you had to like imagine what it would be like if you could actually speak with a collective intelligence of an extraterrestrial civilization and they could explain the nature of the universe you're living in, like what would that experience even be like? You would probably say like, well, it would probably be so disorientingly mind stretching that I would have to just read over and over again what these beings are trying to tell me because it'd be so incomprehensible. That's what the law of one is like when you read it. It's It does that to you. You go, woo, like part of me totally uh, understands that this is true, but my mind is having a hard time mm. like expanding itself to grasp the, the magnitude of the universe we live in. So I'm a huge fan, obviously, of the text. Um, what the law of one says about where we are is really fascinating because it it totally breaks down the metaphysics of all of this. And what it says is that... Um, I guess I have to give a brief explanation of the seven densities to explain this, but the law of one says that there are seven levels of density, let's say, in the universe, and they correlate to our seven energy centers. So if you know what the seven chakras are, you have a really good understanding of the densities. The densities are like the chakras of the universe, you could say. So we move through these seven densities, and um, the first density is the density of the five elements of just pure existence. And then the second density is uh, correlating to the sacral chakra, is the density of uh, awareness, um, becoming an individual in time and space. So anything that has growth and movement that can interact with its environment is a second density life form. So that's from microbial life, insects, plants animals, that whole spectrum is second density. And then the third density correlating to the solar plexus chakra is the density of self-awareness, where consciousness finally gains the capacity to understand as a concept, I exist, I am an individual. And that's where the human race is at. So humans, as far as we know, are the only real third density life forms on our planet. But because third density is the density of separation um, or self-awareness, it becomes the density of separation. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I'm an individual and you're an individual, then we're separate. And you might actually be my enemy. You might actually be an obstacle for me to overcome. So third density, the law of one explains, is the only density level in the whole universe that has suffering, essentially. Strife, violence, um, dissension of any kind after third density we move to the fourth density which is the heart chakra that's the density of love and understanding so after consciousness spends tens of thousands of years war tribalism genocide all these horrible things it learns the tough painful lesson that we're actually not separate yes we're all individual expressions of the one but we are ultimately the same essence right and so consciousness learns painfully in third density that loving one another is the only way forward. And that's the beginning of the fourth density of consciousness, which is a very beautiful density level. 
And so we're at this juncture, the law of one says, where our planet has just barely transitioned into the beginning of the fourth density that happened in the 2012 whole Mayan calendar thing. Our planet actually ticked like a clock to the next degree, which started us on our fourth density journey. So the third density exists to let the soul choose which of the two polarities it wants to be, positive or negative, service to others or service to self. And so the soul has to basically make that decision organically. Uh, it, it has to grapple with love and mm -hmm. hatred and joy and fear and decide which of these energies do I prefer. So the negative path, they call the service to self path, which means serving myself at the expense of everybody else, at the exclusion of everybody else. Um, that's the negative path. So it's the path that chases power, essentially, power over others. The positive polarity, they call the service to others path which means I benefit myself by being in service to all. If we're in a system where everyone serves everyone else, that's what we call harmony and health, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the body works that way. And so uh, once you make that choice, then your soul is eligible to graduate to the next density. So every soul on planet earth right now, for the most part, is choosing, is in that middle ground of choosing which way I want to go. And we see a clear choice, right? You can be like the, the global elites that are trying to enslave everyone and just seek power, money, 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 power, 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 uh, and do horrible evils to humanity in trying to get that power. Or you can be in loving service to humanity and want to help humanity. Those are really the only two choices, right? And so we're at that point where we've apparently, as the law of one says, we're just, we just made that 51% service to others mark where we are a going to be a positively polarized fourth density planet, but there's a lot of collective shadow work to do to heal these energies of service to self off of our planet before that can happen. So that's why we're seeing all the craziness in our world today. It's like when 2012 hit and that cosmic clock ticked us over, now it's time to go fourth density. So we've got to get rid of all the negative energies on our planet, which you know may take hundreds of years to do that which sounds like a long time, but in the grand scheme, it's actually not very much time. And it, I feel it so much right now. Like every, it feels like transitions are happening like back to back to back right now. And everything is, I mean, yeah. we just had the shortest day ever the other day. Did we? <laughs> I, yeah. That the world is spinning faster than it ever has. And I, I, I believe it. I feel it. I feel like everything is is moving so fast. And I've had a lot of conversations where people are, a lot of endings are happening, a lot of divorces, a lot of breakups, a lot of, yeah. I mean, the great resignation, people are leaving their, their jobs to do something that feels more in line with their spirit. Yeah. A lot of transitioning. So much transitioning. And it's, and it can be really painful because as we said in the beginning, you know, once when you get to that place of you're like, what do I believe? Who am I? What, what even is this? A lot of people are having a massive rebirth right now. And it can, it can be a lot. It can be a lot. I mean, myself included, there's so many, so many transitions where you're just trying to ground and it can be, it can, it's a balance, you know, of remembering to stick with your community and also having that time alone to meditate so that you can 
tap back into what your your loudest voice is of what your intuition is so you can have that guidance to move forward yeah yeah th this is exactly why what you're touching on is exactly why it is never going it's it's a losing endeavor to be identified as a body an individual person a body that's basically approaching death at every second right there's no winning from that point of view because a person an individual separate self is always in in danger and in jeopardy i mean you could get in a car accident today for all you know and boom your life could be over like that and so to live with that sense of self is just inviting constant fear and instability so if we want to find true peace of mind the universe has built it into this system in such a way that the only way that's possible is to know yourself from a higher perspective which is that i am the one being of the universe experiencing this person. So ultimately, we, we know the person isn't eternal because every person that's ever lived has died. So this, this person, although it's a beautiful temporary little dance, the creator's dancing, it isn't fundamentally what I am. So let me not get overly attached to it. Let me definitely love it and appreciate it and see the beauty of it and enjoy all of its gifts and all the beautiful stuff. But let me not make it who I am, because then I will have to suffer from it every day of my life. And if I think the body is what I am, I actually can't love the body mm -hmm. because now the body is me. So when the body ages, I'm aging. Stupid body, would you stop looking so old? I want to look young. Um, stupid body, you're so weak now. I want to be strong like I was in my youth. We, we get very abusive towards the body when we think it's who we are and our whole sense of self is defined by it. So we are learning as a collective to know who we are from a higher perspective, which is the universe itself. And what we are is eternal. And so when you know that what you are is eternal, then you can't suffer anymore because all problems exist in time. All problems exist for the impermanent. But how can something that's eternal and infinite have a problem? Mm -hmm. So when you make your sense of self there, you find great peace of mind and actually a very open-hearted love for all of creation. Mm -hmm. And so much of what I feel like the is so important right now to help us get through what we're going through is community, is not oh, being yeah. isolated with the thoughts that aren't really even yours that you've, you know, you've collected them throughout time and have been passed mm -hmm. down to you. But when we are with other humans, it, it's like all of that is satiated. Community yes. is so important. That's why I think to those people who are in those situations we mentioned a bit ago of, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't resonate here. I need to get out of this city or whatever, go somewhere that people are building a community to make an alternative, to build a new system. That's what we have to do, right? That's how we make the current system obsolete is that we make a system that's so much better. That's so irresistible that over time, everybody wants to be involved in it. And, you know, maybe a generation or two from now, we'll have a, a society that's operating under probably very different laws, different systems of finance and economics and everything. We'll have to reinvent almost everything. But once we do that, the, we'll, we'll show the world that there is an option, that there's a clear contrast between the system of um, sort of the debt slave matrix system that humanity has been living under and this service to others model 
of a unified society that works for the whole, not for the individual. And people will see, oh, wow, this is actually where I want to be. And then it's, it's free choice. We didn't fight against anything. We just sort of gave humanity a choice and humanity chose unity. Mm-hmm. And I know we're coming to a close here and I want to, I want to hear more about 4D University and everything that you're working on right now, because that's a huge community that if it's any, it's, I know it's your YouTube channel and all your social channels on steroids. So <laughs> I know that is providing a lot of a, a huge North star for a lot of people right now. And, and right before we dive into that, I want to know, what are you, what is your biggest advice right now for everyone who is, is going through a lot of these shifts right now and, and reorienting themselves and in, in finding a life that feels fulfilling in a society that sometimes can feel really depleting? Mm. Well, it's, it's a great question that I could take a lot of different angles on. So I'll just choose the one that feels most uh, exciting right now, which is when we as humanity are at this juncture where we're trying to get free from this debt slave system that has worked really hard to make us completely codependent on it and uh, reliant on it. So we're trying to like disentangle ourselves from that system. And I think one of the best, if not the best way we do that is by leaving this kind of like corporatized system that we've met, at least in the West, but um, in most parts of the world, it's a very corporatized uh, work work life, right? Where you you go work for some giant mega corporation from nine to five. So you're working eight hours of your of your day and then it's another hour at least to, for commute to and from. So it's like you leave early in the morning, you work for somebody else doing something you really don't enjoy, and then you come home very late just in time to make dinner and fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Well, in the law of one, they ask Ra about this kind of setup, and Ra calls it a type of enslavement. And you're like, well, that's a, a little bit overboard. But when you actually think about it, it totally is in that we are forced to get a job to work for somebody we really don't want to, because if we don't work, we're not going to have a house, a roof over our head, food, nothing, right? We have to make money in this society to live. And the people who run the society are holding 99% of the money and saying, you want some of this coin? Come work for me. And so we just spend all day long doing somebody else's work that isn't exciting or inspiring to us in the corporate system, at least. So I think one of the best ways we liberate ourselves as humanity is to leave that kind of work system and realize we shouldn't be working eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no time for self-development if you're working eight hours a day. And that's the most important thing anyone can do. And secondly, let's do something that brings us excitement and passion and inspiration that we wake up every day saying, yes, I can't wait to bring more value to the world through this thing that I love. I can't wait to improve on it. I can't wait to create something else. Man, that's a society that's happy and flourishing and thriving. So I'm really excited how humanity seems to be, I think you called it the great resignation a minute Mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, didn't make that up, but yeah. Yeah, we seem to be doing that where people are waking up and going, hey, wait a minute. I actually have all the resources I could ever want, you know, internet, technology, social media, marketing. I can actually totally make my own way in this world. Mm-hmm. And you see people doing it, man. I see so many amazing, epic new businesses and entrepreneurs every day making these super inventive products that are actually v- giving a lot of value to humanity. So 
full circle, my advice is find something you love, something that excites you. Because if, if it excites you, if it makes you passionate, that's the universe saying you're qualified to do that thing. Find something that excites you that you can give value to humanity through. If we start thinking that way, we're going to transform this planet so quick mm. because capitalism, the, the greed monetary system way of thinking says, do something that makes you lots of money. And sometimes that, those things help humanity. Other times they do a lot more harm than good, right? With like fast food and, and junk food and different products that, yeah, they, they prey on humanity's addiction, but they don't actually help humanity at all. And they make one person lots and lots of money. Well, the opposite of that is how do I give value out? And that also puts us in the law of attraction, where the, the, the same value you give has to come back to you. So we find that people who are about that in their business are always successful and thriving because they're, they're now in that vortex of the law of attraction, giving them the value that they're giving out. So to me, that's one of the best ways forward, actually. Mm. And do you believe that by doing this, we can still, because I see I, that is where like my heart believes that. And then my head gets in the way too, where I see some people around me that are striving to make their, their dreams come true and building something that they really, really believe in. But at the same time, they're struggling to pay their bills and you can't create when you're in a space of, of survival. So like, how do we balance that out? How do we pay our bills and get all of that handled? And at the same time, build something that feels really authentic to us and begin to make money off of it in a way that we can thrive. Yeah. Well, firstly, the survival mode is, is actually a mindset. It's not a fact of the matter. Meaning, yeah, you may be, your bank account may be empty and yeah, you may have lots of bills, but that doesn't mean you have to be in survival mode up here because it's the survival mode up here that takes us out of our creativity and inspiration. So it's a, it's a very powerful catalyst for spiritual growth because yeah, if you're going to put yourself out there to chase a dream, to build something, you're going to come up against stress and challenges and, and whatnot. So be ready for that, right? Don't expect it to be some like candy land journey. That's going to be easy for you. But when I trust my passion and I just follow the breadcrumb trail of my passion, I think passion is what can make it very very easy and effortless because when you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel like work to do it. So like, yeah, if I have to work a job, pay my bills, and then do this other thing that drains me of energy every day, yeah, going to be hard to create. But find that thing that when you do it, it fills you up, mm -hmm. doesn't suck energy from you. That's what you're called to do. And you can just trust that if, if this makes me excited and I'm passionate about it, I have the whole universe at my back. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, being able to, because I've seen situations where people begin to ignore their responsibilities and their families and things that they have to take care of because they want to follow their dream. But I think there is this balance that you have to take of, you know, playing by the earth rules of sorts of like needing, yes, pay your bills, do what you need to do, but, but hold on to that. So balance it out until yeah. one fully takes the lead. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really what karma is meant for, is that everything we do as an individual on this planet is leaving some kind of karmic footprint, whether for good or for evil. And so when we act selfishly, we, we create negative karma, which comes back around to us in the form of crisis and challenge and whatnot. So the universe won't let you get away with um, 
shifting responsibility away from anything that truly is your responsibility, taking care of family, whatever, because that's the right thing to do. Mm. So if you're going to pursue anything at the detriment of someone else, you're getting into that service to self energy and you're going to start experiencing negative karma. So it does take a lot of self-responsibility and integrity to follow your dreams because it means you have to still be a good steward of what life has given you. And when you can do that, kind of like Jesus said, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. It's actually a way that we show the universe that we're ready for something bigger when we can be a good steward of the little bit that it's given us. Mm, yes, that feels so right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's dive into 4D university and everything else that you're working on right now that everyone, I already know people are going to be listening to this and going to Google you immediately after. So what can we look out for? Yeah. So 4D university has been such a fun kind of passion project of mine since we're on this topic. Uh, so I, I started going through what we typically call a Kundalini awakening um, in about 20, 2019 to 2020, I would say. And long story short, it was this um, really crazy, bizarre experience, this long journey of all these incredible things happening in my body and in my nervous system that I didn't understand very well until I started basically reading every book on Kundalini I could get my hands on and then kind of um, connecting that knowledge with what I know from the law of one. And the pieces started to come in place slowly but surely that what we what we typically call kundalini in the spiritual tradition is actually our fourth density energy coming alive mm. so as i mentioned a bit ago we have the densities of consciousness when someone's heart chakra opens through spiritual practice and spiritual growth that's actually the beginning of them becoming a fourth density being and what happens is there is a latent energy at the base of our spine called, we call it Kundalini. That is the fourth density energy that through enough spiritual discipline, it awakens and it starts moving through our nervous system, beginning in the spine, which is the center of your nervous system, and then branches its way out through every part of our body and gradually upgrades our nervous system so that we can actually sustain higher states of consciousness. So it's an, actually, it's a neurobiological transformation that usually takes you know, many, many years to fully complete, but going through this myself and learning how, you know, through trial and error and through the challenges that come up, how to balance this energy and, and facilitate it and, and help it do its thing through lots of meditation and advanced yoga practices. Um, I sort of kind of developed like a system or a methodology for awakening and facilitating a Kundalini ascension which is fourth density. So it's called 4D University because it's basically an online academy that is for the sole purpose of taking someone from a third density state of consciousness to a fourth density state of consciousness. So it's a seven-month curriculum of three different kind of master classes. The first one's called Master Your Mind. The second one's called Meditation Mastery. Mm. And the third one is called 4DAP which stands for fourth density ascension protocol. So I kind of work people up from the beginning of like mind training and self-awareness. And then let's master this very crucial practice of meditation and all of the different techniques and benefits it holds for us. And then we can get into the really advanced yoga practices of Hatha yoga, Kriya, Kundalini, 
go on and on uh, that we use in 4DAP to actually start working directly with the Kundalini energy and gradually moving it up the spine, up the chakras to the crown chakra, at which point, basically, as Ra says in the law of one, uh, one becomes a fourth density being when that energy is taken there. So I kind of discover that this is a process that anybody can take themselves through if they understand what the process is and the practices needed to facilitate it. So I, I wanted from that point on to make a kind of online resource for the world. For anyone who's looking to do this, um, here's, a, here's a place you can go that is a safe, gradual facilitation of this um, experience. That can be, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but if you're familiar with Kundalini awakenings, then you know some people can kind of blow the doors off their psyche by stimulating that energy um, too quickly. Mm -hmm. Be super destabilizing. Super destabilizing. I mean, psych yeah. wards are full of people who yeah. unknowingly awakened that energy when they still had lots of blockages and traumas. Mm. And then they, all of a sudden they have multiple personalities and crazy stuff. Mm. So it is important to do it in the right way, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a conversation literally this weekend with someone who um, they had a past life regression and that opened them so much that they have been on like a four year healing journey. Yeah. Wow. So this, this, this spiritual work is so it's like not to freak anyone out. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's some powerful stuff when we really start to tap into the truth of who we are, it's incredibly psychedelic and our little minds can't grasp this. So our, we've got to train our bodies and our nervous systems to be able to hold the consciousness that is yes. around us. Yeah. I like to use the analogy of the higher self. Uh, if you think about, we've heard this phrase, the higher self before, the law of one explains that it's basically the final completed version of your soul that has finished every single lifetime in its whole history, you know, thousands and thousands of lifetimes, which is uh, at the middle stage of sixth density. So it's your middle sixth density soul who has no longer has any need to incarnate as a body in time and space. It now turns back in time and serves as a kind of guide or helper to all of its past lifetimes. So that higher self is what you are ultimately because mm -hmm. it's outside of time. So it's you in your most perfected version. And so we are actually bringing through our own higher self in this lifetime as we spiritually ascend, as we evolve, right? The more I raise my consciousness, the more it's like I'm widening the funnel to let the higher self come through. And so we actually, again, we need to do this uh, mind, body, and spirit, because we are a mind, body, spirit complex. Mm -hmm. So I think the mistake a lot of spiritual adepts make is they think it's just like a mental process, just learn enough spiritual concepts. And then the rest will, it'll flow from there. Mm -hmm. But that's just one piece of the pie. In fact, we also have to cultivate our bodies to sustain that level of spirituality. Cause if we're eating junk food and we're full of toxicity, you better believe we don't have the bandwidth to carry a high vibration. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to feel negative and depressed and all this stuff. Our state of mind will mirror the body. And most people just don't know how incredibly toxic their body is from all mm -hmm. the poisons in our environment and stuff. Mm -hmm. So like the 4DAP program is like a full physical detox 
as well as a spiritual detox and a mental detox. We kind of take all three pieces together and say, this is how we prepare the soil to bring in the higher self. Mm, wow. So a lot of help with the integration, a lot of help with every component. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Okay, cool. I want to take this. This is amazing. We'll put this in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. And I, I just welcome anybody who's who's interested in this to try it out. It's a month-to-month membership. I don't want anyone to be there who's not super excited to be there. So you can join for one month, see if it works for you or not. No problem. But we've got about 300 people in this community already. And it's just like the most amazing community, if you can imagine it. Of oh, people a, who yeah. are all in for their spiritual growth and yeah. doing what it takes to really ascend in this lifetime. So it's a very high vibrational place to be for sure. Yeah. That's that's that sounds very healing to be yeah. around a group of people who are tapped into to love on a very powerful level. And yeah, it really is. Before we we sign off, I wanna well, how can everyone follow you? I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah. So you can go to, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to 4duniversity.com. So number four, letter four. Um, my personal stuff is aaronabke.com. And then of course, youtube.com slash aaronabke is where all my kind of video content is. And then I'm pretty much just on Instagram beyond that. So that's just at aaronabke. Okay, perfect. And what is keeping your heart open these days? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the answer to me always, I always want to say God, because it's just like all day long, I'm just in love with the divine and wanting to experience more of it, but to give a more um, nuanced answer for me lately, it's been humanity. It's Mm. been watching this uh, very tumultuous, but also very inspiring and beautiful um, resurrection humanity's having. Uh, I'm just so, so in love with humans more than ever before and, and seeing the divine coming through uh, humanity right now in the way that it is, even though it's tough, uh, it's, it's a very divine, beautiful thing that's happening on our planet. And I just feel inspired to be a part of that ascension in whatever way I possibly can. Mm, that's beautiful. And what is a practice that you're doing to keep, if you, when you feel your heart closing up, I know there's like 101 practices because this is, that's not just one answer, but yeah. one, one that comes to mind. Well, you know, if your heart is ever feeling closed off, the, the best energy to reach for, for me is always gratitude. Mm-hmm. What can you just be grateful for? Cause it's like the recognition of God is what gratitude is. So that's, that's easiest. But I think like, how can we be of benefit to humanity the most? I think um, having a very devoted meditation practice every day is the best thing we can, any of us can do. Because as we each raise our own level of consciousness, we're helping push humanity's consciousness higher. And the fastest way, the most immediate way to raise your consciousness is meditation. To get quiet every single day. And as you've said a few times, let that upward spiraling energy loose. Stop thinking, stop grasping, stop resisting, just be quiet, be still, and let your own energy move up towards God that's how you raise your consciousness. And that's what the practice of meditation basically is. Okay. I I love that. And it's, it, it's meditation is so incredibly powerful, especially when you're going through any kind of transition and we love guessing people's Zodiac signs. I already know yours because I did way too much 
Instagram stalking, preparing oh, for this. <laughs> I know, but you're an Aries. Yes. Yes, I'm an Aries. I saw oh, that. Nice. And, yeah, I like shot out of my body when I saw that. I was so excited. Aries gang. Aries gang. Would you know your moon and your rising? Yeah, moon is well in Western. Um, moon is Capricorn. Rising is Cancer. Mm, okay, I'm a Cancer rising too. Wow, look at that. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio moon. In uh, Western? In Western. Yeah. I think in Vedic, I'm a Pisces moon, I want to say. Okay. Wait. No, I'm a Pisces sun sign. Sorry. You're a Pisces sun sign. Yeah, because it's one before. Yeah. Me too. Me too in that. But I relate to the Aries so much, that fire. Same. And I can I can see for sure. I can feel the pure Aries. Pure passion. Yeah, pure passion. And just like <laughs> the, the directness of like yes. the information and like very clear and here it is. Yeah. So I love the Aries archetype. Yes, me too. The warrior. It's powerful. That's why meditation is even more important than ever right now, too, because Aries is guided by the head. Um, uh, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. So, Aaron, thank you so much for being on this podcast and for being so generous with your spirit and your time and everything that I mean, I'm just in awe with everything that I that I see you produce. It's like, thank God for you right now. Truly. And I, you're, I consider you to be an amazing spiritual teacher of our time. Like your ability to just take these insane concepts and really just distill them down in a very clear and easy way. Uh, it's helping us. It's helping me. So thank you. Well, very humbled and grateful to hear that. And thank you for the kind words. Thank you for having me on today. I had a blast talking with you. So Love to do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Bye.